Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. Your hosts of today, Dean and Oli. We are solutions architects based in Asia Pacific and help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Welcome to episode 22 of the AWS Tech Chat. My name is Oliver Klein and I'm your host of today. And with me, I got Dean Samuels. Dean, how are you doing? Ollie, I'm doing really well. Really excited to be here. I've been a big fan of this uh, Tech Chat uh, podcast for quite some time. Thank you, Dean. That means a lot to me because you're one of the most long-tenured guys in AWS that I know. You've been with us for quite a while, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Long-tenured as far as AWS uh, uh, standards go. I've been with the company for about six years now. Uh, the last two years, I've actually been in Hong Kong, uh, leading the solution architect team for Hong Kong and Taiwan. Uh, prior to that, I was actually in the um, Sydney, Australia office, uh, supporting right. our Australia customers uh, as a solution architect uh, for about four years. Nice, and and you moved up to Hong Kong here a little bit after me. How was your experience so far? Uh, it's been quite an uh, interesting and awesome experience, uh, to be honest. Uh, and I know uh, for us, uh, we've worked together across uh, Asia Pacific and now mm -hmm. with uh, Greater China region, uh, and it's it's really been a, a great journey um, working with our Hong Kong uh, customers. And yeah, and, and personally, I must say I love Hong Kong a lot. A very exciting city. Lots of things happening. I do like the food, and yes, I think everybody you do likes too. the food. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that's really impressive, uh, you know, I always think is is the density of Hong Kong. I think it was uh, recently kind of announced that it's one of the most densely populated city in the world. And you know, it's not always easy to cope with all the people traffic that you have, especially in like the MTR, the, the metro train stations, right, Dean? Yeah. Absolutely. If there's one thing I can uh, say that I miss about Australia is the space. Uh, um, as long as you don't uh, mind, uh, you know, uh, your your personal space that much, uh, you know, Hong Kong is a great uh, a great place. But uh, I must say, the way that uh, um, the logistics wise, uh, how the, the the city operates, it does really cope with the, uh, the 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 loads of people. Yeah, and you know, Hong Kong, I think overall does a good job at uh, handling these spikes and peak hours of, of human foot traffic. And you know, I, I, you could you could nearly say they load balance that thing properly. Indeed, you could. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so Dean, talking about load balancing, <laughs> didn't we just announce something new about our load balancing? Wow, that was a good uh, lead in there, uh, Ollie. Good, good opportunity. Uh, absolutely, uh, uh, one of the uh, one, more exciting uh, services or feature uh, announcements uh, for my for myself that uh, um, we spoke about uh, earlier this uh, this month. We actually announced a new option to the elastic load balancing service uh, called the network load balancer or the NLB and the idea behind the NLB is it's specifically designed to handle tens of millions of requests per second while maintaining high throughput at ultra low latency and there's really no effort requ required on our customers part, part regardless of the type of traffic that's encountered whether it's a sudden increase mm -hmm. or a gradual increase uh, in the actual load. Right, right. But I mean, we have our elastic load balancing service that we launched in 2009 and we have added many, many different new features and the LB was great to support websites, application from, you know, small, simple websites or running on maybe on smaller instances all the way to large and complex applications and large fleets of high-end instances. So um, 
So what's different about the network load balancer here? Yeah, you're absolutely right uh, there, Ollie. I mean, we have had the elastic load balancing service uh, around for quite some time. We have many customers, like you mentioned, using uh, the uh, load balancing service for a wide variety of, of use cases. But to understand the reasoning behind bringing out this additional option uh, with the load balancing service, we need to understand how the load balancing mm -hmm. service works. Mm -hmm. um, so behind the scenes, the uh, load balancer monitors traffic and automatically scales to meet demand. Uh, the process includes a gener generous buffer of headroom initially, um, mm -hmm. and then it basically responds to that increase of uh, traffic by, by scaling the uh, required infrastructure to support that increase in traffic. And this has actually been quite a suitable uh, solution for most of our customers over the years, and it's worked very well for our customers. We even use Elastic Load Balancing Service to support things like live broadcasts, mm -hmm. flash sales, and other types of uh, uh, campaigns and marketing events that they uh, may run. Um, it's also uh, a great um, uh, for failing over to other regions um, as well. But the problem is that um, the Elastic Load Balancing Service does organically scale based mm -hmm. on uh, a load that's coming into the system. So if you do have that sudden surge or a significant increase mm -hmm. in traffic, there is going to actually be time for uh, time required for the Elastic Load Balancer to uh, organic, organically uh, scale. And what we'd actually used to do as a solution architect team for our customers and also working with our support team is if we know there's going to be a sudden surge in traffic, we'd actually pre-provision or otherwise known as pre-warm yeah. the elastic load balancing service to cope with that expected uh, increase. But you know, as we know, cloud, cloud is all about automatically adapting and scaling to meet current demand. And we really want to remove uh, that human element in the process. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I had a plenty of customers where we talked about pre-warming ELB. So it's really nice to see that with the network load balancer will help us to scale up really fast and quickly um, to to avoid these kind of problems and so, so what are some of the other interesting things that it can do for our customers you mentioned something about IP addresses before to me yeah absolutely I mean the the, the, the primary benefit of the network load balance is the fact that it can handle those sudden surge in traffic but there are actually some additional benefits for certain use cases for customers as well um, if you think about the traditional elastic load balancer the way it's actually deployed is it contains of multiple instances which mm -hmm. makes up the load balancing service. It is a dynamic environment, so it will grow and shrink based on demand. And what that actually means is the IP addresses of those load balances will actually change um, as time goes on. Uh, this made it actually very hard for some of our customers who required a specific or consistent uh, IP address um, usage for their load balances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what the network load balancer introduces is a single IP address for each availability zone that the network load balancer is deployed very to. Cool. And so that means now customers who required those hard required those static IP addresses can now hard code those IP addresses into things like their firewall rules and their DNS, uh, uh, DNS mm -hmm. services. Right, and I think it also keeps, if I'm not mistaken, it keeps the connection open for a longer period of time, right? For even for months up to two years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. It, it should be mentioned that the uh, network load balancer is actually a layer layer four a load right. balancer. So it's basically uh, load balancing TCP-based uh, traffic. Um, and so when you look at a lot of the modern web applications or even just modern applications, whether it's around IoT and, and mm -hmm. gaming and messaging applications, these are typically long-lived uh, connections. So it's not your 
your right. traditional HTTP or HTTPS type um, uh, 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 connections. So um, the network load balancer actually allows you to have these connections persistent for a long periods of time, like you mentioned, even up to months and years. Nice, nice. And so, you know, Dean, help me understand. I mean, we have this, uh, you know, our classic load balancer. We have the application load balancing service. Uh, how should our listeners, uh, listeners differentiate when to use which load balancer now? Yeah, it's uh, all about choice, right? right so exactly. we do innovate very quickly, <laughs> as we know as SAs, and um, I know that there's a lot of choice and options out there for customers. But you know, if you look at the uh, various w workloads and applications our customers are deploying, um, the, no, no two applications or workloads are the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means that there's not going to be a, uh, a magic bullet or a silver bullet solution to, um, uh, to those applications. So by introducing a third option, um, for the load balancing service, it really addresses a specific uh, use case. So if right. you have a look at the network load balancer, for example, it's really ideal for load balancing TCP traffic. Mm -hmm. It's capable, as I mentioned, of handling millions of requests per second, and it still maintains those ultra low latencies. It's really designed and optimized to handle those sudden and volatile traffic patterns uh, while using a single static IP address per availability zone. Mm -hmm. And now our customers who use the application uh, load balancer, which is a load balancer service we uh, announced uh, uh, recently, this is really ideal for advanced load balancing of HTTP and HTTP traffic, right. HTTPS traffic, sorry. Um, it really operates at that layer seven, uh, so mm -hmm. it gives a lot more control of, uh, to our customers to implement things like advanced request routing that supports modern application architectures and, an and also including microservices and container-based applications. Mm -hmm. And of course, we still have the classic load balancer mm -hmm. um, that a lot of our customers know and love, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the one we released in 2009. Really, it's ideal for applications that were built within the EC2 classic network, which a lot of our customers are still running in. Right, right, absolutely. And, you know, Dean, I know you're a bit more on the infra side. Indeed. I, <laughs> I like to play a lot more on the development <laughs> space. People call me a developer. You know, mm -hmm. as a developer, you know, what I also like is obviously that we have a lot of services that can help our customers uh, develop their pieces of code and deploy things out a lot easier. And their services like Code Deploy, for example, that helps you to automate your code deployment to any instance, including Amazon EC2 instance, and even uh, instances that running that are running in your own data centers on premise, um, which makes it a lot easier to deploy your code out. Now, in that regard, OAWS Code Deploy also now supports this new network load balancers for both blue-green deployments and also in-place in, in, in deployment. So with this new update, as a developer, I can now not only choose between our loved and beloved classic load balancer, obviously the application load balancer, but also the network load balancer for my deployment groups. Yeah, absolutely, Oli. It's great how we see that integration of uh, infrastructure improvements and innovation along with the development side. Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're running for the DevOps team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, well, you, there go. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so Dean, tell me, how do we get started with the network load balancer? Uh, yeah, so that's uh, the great thing. It's fairly uh, straightforward to, to get started. Uh, the network load balancer um, uh, option is available in all of the AWS commercial regions with the exception mm -hmm. of China uh, or the mm -hmm. Beijing region today. Mm -hmm. uh, it is actually already supported by orchestration tools that mm -hmm. our customers might uh, use. So the AWS CloudFormation uh, service uh, uh, leverages auto-scaling or integrates with auto-scaling and mm -hmm. also works with our Amazon ECS, the EC2 container service right. uh, as well. 
Um, if you are currently actually using Classic Load Balancer, which I mentioned a lot of our customers are, we actually also do provide a migration script, which actually right. allows you to move to the network load balancer. Uh, we'll actually provide a link in the show notes um, where, you, where, where customers can actually leverage that script called the Load Balancer Copy Utility. Very, very cool. Always good to have a little migration utility, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we want our customers to keep up with modern day technologies. Um, so let's change uh, uh, attack a little bit here, Ollie. Um, we spoke a bit about infrastructure services and, and mm-hmm. things around uh, uh, code, code management with code deploy. Let's talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, it's always a topic that comes up when we talk to, <laughs> to customers. It's really one of those buzzwords uh, or words uh, to, uh, 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 today. I've heard that uh, Amazon has several services in this That's space right. uh, when we yeah. talk about artificial intelligence, specifically around uh, voice or conversational mm-hmm. interfaces. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard of Amazon Lex, mm-hmm. uh, which is a service we announced recently, uh, and also the Alexa voice service. Um, yeah. Now, having voice interaction or voice conversations with customers is an important um, technology mm-hmm. uh, for our customers today. But can you explain to me about the difference between the two? You know, how would we explain to customers what, when they would use Amazon Lex versus the Alexa voice service and also how they maybe integrate or interact with each other? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, it's a question a lot of my customers ask me and the Alexa voice services, which is the voice services that we offer through some of the devices like the Amazon Echo, the Echo Dot, Echo Show, Echo Look, um, but also through some other third party devices, anybody can basically use and integrate those Alexa voice services. Now the Alexa voice services integrate with your amazon.com account. So it's tied to amazon.com account and you can then use Uh, the Alexa voice services to use a certain wake word um, to talk to the voice services. That wake word is by default Alexa. So you can say, hey, Alexa, how are you? Or, uh, you know, what's the definition of a certain word, etc. And by the way, that uh, wake word can be changed. So to all the Star Trek fans that listen to our podcast here, you actually can change that wake word to computer. So you can be like, computer, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> accelerate uh, my stuff, you know? <laughs> I'm more of a Star Wars fan, so I might keep it at Alexa. <laughs> and yeah, you know, the other thing that's really nice about it is you have an entire ecosystem around it. So developers can actually integrate against the voice services. So we have different kind of companies like Uber or Domino's or Starbucks, where you can say, I can use Alexa to now call my cab or order a pizza or order a coffee at the local shop, etc and everybody can integrate against that ecosystem. Now, on the underlying hood, it's obviously using uh, automatic speech recognition, and it's also using, obviously, natural language understanding to basically understand what we're, what we're talking about and then um, provides a different intents back to these skills, as, as they are called, mm. uh, that you can develop against. Right. Now, Amazon Lex is now that kind of AWS service that um, basically takes this automatic speech recognition and natural language understanding and offers it to you as an API, as a, as a web service. So if you say, I don't just want to integrate into the Alexa voice services, I actually want to benefit from building my own bot, my own chatbot that understands both written and spoken language, that very moment, I would actually go ahead and choose to have Amazon Lex and integrate against it. And you know, there's, there's an interesting research I just recently read uh, uh, on a poll that came from BI Intelligence on on businessinsider.com, and it showed that actually 44% of the people 
would rather talk to a chatbot than to a human. Well, that is uh, that is interesting. Although I can understand that in a lot of situations, uh, people might just want a particular task complete, and they really want something that's going to do it efficiently. And chatbots might be more efficient than humans in some cases. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think you know it's it's always nice if if we can improve the efficiency with something. And and one uh, great element where chatbots are really good in is is to kind of answer these kind of frequently kind of asked questions. Mm. So I would uh, point all of your attention to our different Amazon or AWS blocks that we have. And we do have an AI and artificial intelligence block where we have a variety of blog posts. And we re recently posted uh, a blog post onto that blog that shows you a sample solution on how to build what we called the QNA bot which <laughs> create <obviously>, a name <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right which obviously um, is a little bot that uses amazon lax and uses or even amazon alexa if you want to uh, to provide that kind of conversational interface for those frequently questions uh, frequently asked questions and and provide answers and it actually shows how you can use something like the amazon elastic search service for example to make use of the elastic search with an indexing search engine um, to uh, tap onto its powerful full-text search engine to find the right answers and then build that intent-based interface back with Amazon Legs and build that chatbot uh, back that could then answer your questions. Wow, that sounds uh, really interesting and it sounds like it's a fairly straightforward way for customers to start working and building their own uh, chatbots um, and start experimenting. Um, you provide a really good explanation around uh, you know, use cases where we'd use Amazon Lex and also where the Alexa voice services uh, mm -hmm. fits in. What about integration? Um, anything you can tell us around the integration between the two services? Absolutely. So we, we launched a variety of new features in Amazon Lex. And the first one is uh, you know, within Amazon Lex, we can actually create chatbots. And those chatbots have multiple versions. And you can have multiple deployments. With a click of a button, I can easily publish it to Facebook, for example example and a lot of our customers have been using it as such uh, having a Facebook chatbot uh, we now make it a lot easier to first and foremost test that board out so we changed the Amazon Lex console a little bit around that allows you to dynamically test the bot uh, see the output that comes back see the uh, the detailed view of the past response from the chatbot and uh, understand what the person has said and give that back. Um, but more importantly, I mentioned we can tie it to Facebook with a click of a button, mm. but we now also allow you to ex export your Amazon Lex chatbot to the Alexa skills kit. And the Alexa mm. skills kit, obviously being those skills that I mm. talked about earlier, uh, which are part of the Alexa voice services. So what you can do now is if you want to create an Alexa voice services skill, you can use the Amazon Lex chatbot, uh, easily use the console, create your chatbot, create your intents, create your, your responses or your integrations that you might want to have with the rest of your application. Now with a click of a button, I get a JSON file that I can add to my Alexa skills kit, and then I can use the skill straight away in you know, all my uh, Alexa devices, may it be the, the Echo, the Dart, or the Look, or the Tap, or the, or the Show, or pretty much any third-party uh, Alexa-enabled device. 
Wow, that sounds actually really cool. I, I do actually have an Amazon Echo device myself. Uh, I must admit I'm probably using just the fundamental features <laughs> of it. Uh, you know, tell me a dad joke or uh, play me a Justin Bieber <laughs> song. Um, starting to look at things like home automation as well, where maybe I'm a bit too lazy to turn on and off the uh, the lights. True. Um, but it's basically yeah, what you're saying now, that you can easily create these Alexa skills and, and build your own skills, uh, deploy it to devices like Amazon Echo, but you can actually do it through Amazon Lex. That's uh, that's really interesting. Absolutely, and that makes that, that thing a lot easier. And you know, I, I like to play around with my Echo device. I like to play around with the Alexa voice services. And as you mentioned, it's really comfortable if you can switch things off on and off just using your voice. And so we live in Hong Kong and during summer, it gets pretty hot and humid here. So um, we're, we're, I think we're both big fans of air conditioning <laughs> units and they make a lot of sense during summer. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I figured, you know, I, had a, I probably had a little bit too much time last weekend, but I decided uh, to actually build my Alexa voice enabled air conditioning unit. So I have this air conditioning unit hanging around on the ceiling and I was like, okay, how are we gonna do that? And so I had this Raspberry Pi lying around and I decided, okay, let's analyze the, the remote control of the air conditioning unit, You know, record this infrared signals, try to replay it uh, with infrared LEDs and the Raspberry Pi and tie it all back together. Now, first and foremost, turns out that infrared payload that these, re these remote controls sent it's actually really long. It's not the usual like, you know, TV remote control thing where button on, button off kind of sets a very small little infrared payload. So you go ahead and I, I recorded it and I couldn't initially figure it out. Had to like debug the raw, you know, infrared signals made use of, of this tool called Mode 2, which is part of the LIC, the, the Linux infrared remote control uh, piece of software. Looked at all the raw stuff and then replayed it and ta-da, suddenly, you know, <laughs> the air conditioning unit turned on. I was like, that's amazing. You know? <laughs> and, you know, so I had my Raspberry Pi connected to it and decided now I can build an Alexa skill with Amazon Legs and I can switch on my air conditioning unit on and off using my voice. <laughs> so it'd be safe to say, Ollie, that you like to tinker. <laughs> I like to I like to play around with stuff. Yeah? Absolutely, it takes me takes me back to my Linux days. Uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, the uh, infrared uh, components with Linux, uh, there I, I do um, or must say that I do wish I had time to tinker. But I think my wife would uh, say <laughs> otherwise. She's got a, too much uh, places to see and go in, in Hong Kong for us. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll stick with buying things off the shelf for my home automation <laughs> solutions. Exactly. We'll get you to come in. We'll exactly. get you to come in and set up the house. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why the system is there right <laughs> but you know it's it's great i mean i love playing around with some of these tools i love playing around with things like the raspberry pi and uh, you know as mentioned earlier we post some interesting blog posts on our a blog ai uh, aws ai blog and we recently posted a blog where we actually show you how you can build your own voice kit on top of a raspberry pi so think like build your own kind of echo like mm. uh, kind of device on a raspberry pi using Amazon Lex. So basically you use your Raspberry Pi, you attach some microphone to it, generally like a USB mini microphone, and then you use the, you know, the Amazon Lex JavaScript SDK on top of the Raspberry Pi. And then you basically record the audio and then you can make an API call to post content, which is the API call of Amazon Lex to understand what you're saying, have the automatic speech recognition, and then try to fulfill an intent using that uh, chatbot functionality. So you can use tools like, you, you know, you mentioned you're a big fan of some of these Linux open source tools. You can use tools like SOX, SOX, 
which is kind of the Swiss army night of, of sound processing programs. Mm. Uh, you listen to silence. If the silence is being undetected, so somebody's talking, you listen to it, you send it to Amazon Lex, and off you go. And if you want to make that even cooler and you say, I want to have my wake word, I want to have my hot word, my Raspberry Pi should listen to a certain word. If I say it, it sends it to Amazon Lex. There actually tools or, or a project out there which is called Snowboy. And Snowboy is this kind of customizable hot word detection engine which would run locally on your Raspberry Pi out of the box, would listen to your hot word, and then off you go, you send your commands to Amazon Lex and built your kind of voice-enabled AI kit. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. So basically you have the option of saying the wake word of Alexa, of computer, but then now basically anything you like. Yeah, you can build anything you like. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I guess you've got to just be very careful about what hot word you choose, right? You don't want uh, your, your Raspberry Pi, do-it-yourself home kit responding yeah. to uh, every second sentence that you, uh, you That's talk, right? right? That's ah. right, that's right. And, and Ollie, you mentioned the Raspberry Pi, and I meant how I said that uh, I come from a Linux uh, background. Mm -hmm. uh, the Raspberry Pi is essentially a Linux machine, right? Mm -hmm. A Linux device. That's right, yeah. So that's, that's really interesting because we actually have announced uh, integration of the Raspberry Pi to our EC2 systems manager service. Right. Um, so just want to explain to our listeners um, what the EC2 systems manager service is. It's actually a service that helps customers automatically collect software inventory, apply OS patches, create system images, and com basically configure your operating system. So it's essentially a management service for both your on-premise on and also on-cloud, in this case AWS, uh, uh, server, Linux server environment. Um, the idea is that the management service is designed to scale and be very agile for the cloud, but really extends to your on-premise data center. And so it makes, basically makes it easier to seamlessly bridge your existing infrastructure mm -hmm. with AWS. Mm -hmm. And so what we've actually launched is the ability to now support the Raspbian operating uh, operating system. So essentially in your Raspberry right, Pi. Right, right, yeah. right. Makes it a lot easier for me to kind of remotely manage that Raspbian OS, uh, make sure that I apply the same software yeah. patches to my EC2 instances, exactly. to I, my servers, to I, my Raspberry. Absolutely, you know? and I can just imagine you've got all these Raspberry Pis around your yeah. house now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, have them lying around, absolutely. now you can you remote. Can absolutely, absolutely, you have total control. And that's really neat. And you know, I think it's it's so important that we, we make it easy to kind of manage devices at the edge. We will probably see more and more devices being connected, IoT being a big trend around it. Um, and obviously we have services like Greengrass that can kind of make it a lot easier for you to kind of um, manage your logic that you run locally on some of these edge locations and edge devices. Uh, you want to explain a bit what Greengrass is, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Greengrass is one of those uh, services that really has changed the way that uh, execution environments work. Uh, we talk mm -hmm. about executing at the edge rather mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. uh, just in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially what AWS Greengrass provides is uh, software um, that lets you run local compute mm -hmm. messaging data and state synchronization for mm -hmm. connected devices in a secure way. So you can oh, take cool. it way beyond just deploying to things like Raspberry Pis. It basically can be deployed to all these many different devices and you have this local uh, compute capabilities uh, on the device itself. In fact, it uses uh, AWS Lambda right. um, functions uh, on the actual Greengrass uh, device. And it can actually ensure that your IoT devices uh, that you might, uh, might have deployed can respond very quickly to local events 
uh, operate with intermittent connectivity mm -hmm, because, as mm -hmm. we know, we don't have stable network connections in the That's right. uh, all over the place. And it allows you to uh, minimize the cost of transmitting IoT data to the cloud. Very cool. And, and, and with that in mind, uh, we also had some feature announcements around green grass or the compatibility that we're offering. So as you mentioned, the, the AWS Lambda functions contain the logic and we push that out with green grass to that edge location. Uh, we now support Python 2.7, uh, Node.js 6.10, and also Java version 8, giving our developers uh, a lot more flexibility around to how to choose what is the most appropriate language, uh, the language where they feel comfortable with to kind of deploy these code logics out to the edge location. Um, talking about different locations, uh, GreenGuess was already available in our Sydney region mm -hmm. and we now also launched it into Asia. So it's now available in our Asia Pacific Tokyo region where you can now deploy your GreenGuess groups and deploy it out. Um, lastly, if you're using Python, um, we do have the IoT device SDK for Python and this device SDK, we updated it now to also support the green grass discovery elements. So if you use that device SDK, uh, you have a group discovery of all your green grass devices that you have. Green grass discovery kind of helps to locally find the devices and interact with them uh, with the green grass core, which is kind of you know, that central place at the edge that you would run your code lodging in. And, you know, moving closer to the edge with our compute, I think one other element, you know, talking about AWS Lambda and so on, mm. is, is how can we run cost-effective, right? How can we make sure that we only pay for the compute that we use when we actually require it? And how about you share a little bit with us some of these new announcements that we had around the per second billing for the EC2 instances and the EBS volumes team. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, really exciting for our customers who are looking at using the traditional compute um, environments like the Amazon EC2 mm -hmm. service coupled with the uh, EBS volumes. Uh, if you have a look at the evolution of, of computing um, services in AWS, we moved from um, the Amazon EC2, so the ability to run mm -hmm. the you know virtual servers in the cloud, whether you choose your Linux or Windows. Um, we have a lot of customers now looking at containers as a, as a way to execute a lot of their logic and um, application um, applications in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And Lambda, as we know, uh, the Lambda service has been um, a, a a great service for our for our customers as well, especially for event based. Mm -hmm. uh, driven um, execution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um but we've seen that customers are still continuing to use the EC2 uh, service for their various um, uh, applications. Um, and so what we've actually introduced is the ability for those EC2 instances to be billed per second rather than uh, uh, per hour as, as previous. Um, so customers can actually really change the way or change their thought in how they are actually developing, testing and running um, their uh, running their applications because now these instances can be charged or can be um, well can be charged for less than an hour where it's right. actually running. All right, very cool. And and is this applicable straight away? It absolutely is. Uh, customers basically don't have to do anything. Uh, so uh, from if effective October second, um, the 
instances that they currently have launched, um, whether right. it's on demand, reserved, or mm -hmm. spot, and of course uh, instances that they uh, that they are going to launch, newly launched instances, will automatically have this new uh, pricing model applied. Uh, similarly, um, provision storage for EBS volumes will mm -hmm. also be billed in one second uh, increments. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so per second uh, billing really obvi um, obviates the need for any extra level of instance mm -hmm. management where people have to try and, or customers would have to try and um, strategically uh, determine the uh, the length of time that their instances are running. Now with the per second billing, it just yeah. makes it a lot easier. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, I, I obviously I have a big interest in, in elements like big data, data analytics, and you know, I can just think about the fact like running that Hadoop cluster mm -hmm. per, per second, yep. wouldn't that be great, right? And, it also integrates with some of these services there, right? Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have a look at the Amazon EMR service, uh, so the Elastic Map Produce and the AWS Batch service, uh, the underlying technology or the underlying service that supports this is actually EC2. Mm -hmm. um, so the per billing, uh, sorry, the per second billing actually applies to um, uh, any Linux instance um, mm -hmm. that uh, that is not a commercial Linux uh, variant, like your Red Hat mm -hmm. and, and Suze's. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so when Amazon EMR or your AWS AWS batch service actually provisions these Linux instances, they will automatically have the per second billing applied. Very cool. And, and how about those really big instances, you know, like that new extra large <laughs> X1 EC2 instance we launched? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I'm very excited as an infrastructure guy. <laughs> Imagine that uh, a four terabyte uh, virtual machine, the, uh, the possibilities are endless uh, in terms of what you can do, uh, do on that. So um, yeah, so for, per second billing does apply to the um, to cool. all of our instances, as long as again, it is a Linux instance, mm -hmm, that's not mm -hmm. a commercial Linux um, mm -hmm. distribution. Um, so for those of you who may not be familiar with the X1 um, instance family, it's actually an EC2 instance type that's really designed for large scale in-memory applications mm -hmm. and high performance databases in the cloud. And so the uh, recent announcement uh, um, uh, applies to a specific uh, family member, the mm -hmm. X1e uh, family member. And this op offers, like you mentioned, Ollie, four terabytes of memory and right. 128 virtual CPUs. <laughs> it really allows our customers to uh, run those large in-memory databases such as SAP HANA and other memory intensive and latency sensitive workloads. And so Dean, you mentioned that also applies to the spot instances, which is really cool because yeah. we just recently also announced that you can now stop and start your spot instances instead of just terminating it. So in the event of an interruption, instead of terminating, removing that entire EC2 instance, we basically can just stop it now. Uh, all our data is persisted on the EBS volume that very moment, right? And when capacity again is in available within our price and our time requirements that we have set for spot pricing, we can now pick it back up there and be built per second, per second, which is really, really cool. And, you know, so Dean, this is really a result of some of these continuous customer feedback uh, that we're using to uh, to understand how we can make our customers' cloud journey a little bit easier. And with that in mind, we continuously keep launching new edge locations and regions around the world to bring AWS services closer to our end customers. And, you know, it's always exciting to announce new AWS regions, just as, you know, a few months ago, we announced our Hong Kong region here. That was really exciting. Yeah, very it? exciting for us and our customers in Hong Kong. But if you do recall, Oli, we actually uh, launched a few other regions mm -hmm. last year, uh, uh, Canada, India, Korea, 
the UK, and also additional regions in the United mm -hmm. States. And, mm -hmm. and today, that brings a total number of regions to 16. Nice. Um, we've actually also announced new regions that are coming to China, to France, to Sweden. Uh, we're actually having a second GovCloud region um, as well. And in addition to the uh, Hong Kong region, you can see that that region exp expansion is growing strong in both mm -hmm. 2017 mm -hmm. and also 2018. Uh, we don't stop there. Uh, so <laughs> we actually announced recently that we'll be opening up a, another region. Right. And what's interesting about this, it's actually going to be in the Middle East um, in, by early tw 2019. Uh, the new region will actually be based in Bahrain. Uh, it will be comprised of three availability zones at launch. And it will really give AWS customers and partners the ability to run their workloads and store their data in the Middle East. Very cool, very cool. I love how we continuously make it easier for people to access all these services uh, around the world. And you know, one, one area I'm really interested in, always in is the AI and ML space. And very often when we talk about running machine learning models or AI models, uh, we often talk about training it in the cloud, but actually running it very often at the edge location, such as, mm. for example, on the mobile phone. And so with the Worldwide Developer Conference in 2017, the Apple Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple announced the release of Core ML. And Core ML allows developers to now easily integrate machine learning models natively into their mobile app, enabling them to bring a lot of these intelligent new features to users with just a few lines of code. And now Apple also has contributed code to the Apache MXNet projects to work with Core ML. And now this enables customers to build and train machine learning models in the AWS cloud with MXNet and then import them right into Xcode so you can easily build intelligent new features right within your app and infer from it on the device itself, which is really cool. Wait, and wait, Ollie. So you're basically saying that you're running some type of deep learning platform on mobile devices? That, that, that's right. You know, you train it with, with wow. millions and thousands <laughs> of data points in a cloud environment. That's computationally intensive. Mm. I do that in AWS. And now I get a, a single output. I move it into my Xcode, deploy it onto, onto the device, and there it can start inferring, which is really cool. That's pretty impressive. It? Right? <laughs> <laughs> And you know this is actually part of the the new Apache MXNet version 0.1 run release. And if you follow the Apache MXNet open source project, really exciting one. It has hit some major milestones, both in terms of community development and also as an incubating Apache projects. So we now have contributors, including developers from Apple, from Samsung, from Microsoft, and they all commit to the code base of this release. And of course, also Amazon with over 400 contributors. And it now has fully migrated its code base to, to Apache and has made its first official release as an incubating project. And another thing that's really exciting here is that this release also adds support for Keras 1.2. Now, if you're not familiar with Keras, it's actually a popular high-level library to build neural networks and it has an easy to use kind of front-end interface that can drive various machine learning framework backends you know in the likes of tensorflow cntk theano and of course mxnet also as of now and all of this we make it available through our aws deep learning ami so with a click of a button we can now get that uh, deep learning ami up and running start building our models and now push it all the way out to our phones which is really, really impressive. 
So Dean, you know, I always like to talk in more detail about some of our customers. And you know, <laughs> Amazon Retail is actually a customer of AWS, isn't oh, that right? <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about what we've done lately with them and the entire, you know, Amazon Prime Day 2017? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, Ollie, I must ask you, are you an Amazon Prime I, I am. I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, even though uh, we don't live in the US, or, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of benefits around having being an Amazon Prime mm -hmm. uh, subscriber, um, whether it's uh, around uh, uh, guaranteed delivery, whether it's around uh, the Amazon Prime video mm -hmm. or, or music uh, uh, service. Uh, as you mentioned, Amazon does run a what we what they call an Amazon Prime Day. Um, it's essentially a global shopping event uh, that runs over 30 hours and it offers discounts and exclusive deals for Amazon Prime members such as yourself and myself. Mm -hmm. Now, we at Amazon actually uh, held their third annual Prime Day in July this year uh, and they set a record for another round of global orders. Uh, they actually topped Black Friday and some Cyber Monday, making it the biggest day in Amazon retail history. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, now, over the course of the 30-hour event, tens of millions of Prime members purchased things like Echo Dots, Fire Tablets, programmable, programmable pressure cookers, yeah. um, espresso machines, rechargeable batteries, and of course, much, much more. Alexa, make me a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Maybe your next project. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the Prime uh, Amazon Prime Day also set a record for the number of new Prime memberships as people signed up in order to take advantage of hundreds of thousands of deals. Amazon customers shopped online online and made heavy use of the Amazon app, the mm -hmm. mobile application, with mobile orders actually doubling wow. from the last Prime Day. Impressive. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, Amazon Retail is a customer of AWS and AWS actually powers the Amazon Prime mm -hmm. Day. In fact, mm -hmm. there's over 38 different AWS services that's used to support the Amazon, Amazon uh, retail site before, during and after the Prime Day event. Uh, Amazon Retail re uses the wide range of services, whether it's around analytics with Amazon Redshift, uh, Compute with, with, of course, EC2 and auto-scaling, uh, databases with the DynamoDB and Relational Database Service, uh, mobile with mobile analytics, uh, storage with CloudFront and S3, mm -hmm. and so much more. Very um, interesting. One of the really cool things that Amazon Retail uh, did with AWS and worked with our uh, solution architects and our, 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 uh, our team mm -hmm. is they actually established a game day um, mm. before the event. Uh, a game day, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, is a practice um, uh, which is intended to validate all of the capacity planning and preparation and to verify that all of the necessary operational practices are in place and work as expected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it introduces simulated failures and helps to train the team to identify and quickly resolve issues, building muscle memory in the process. Very cool, very yeah. cool. That sounds fantastic. And, and 
How did it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the stats uh, earlier on. It, it actually uh, went pretty well. <laughs> you know, it was the most successful uh, Prime Day um, uh, uh, in history. But you know, if you want to speak specifically to to some uh, some data, um, the AWS teams check their dashboards and right. log files, mm-hmm. um, and we're happy to share their metrics. Uh, here are some of uh, here are a few of the most interesting ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all love our block storage. Uh, you know, Amazon Elastic Block Store is uh, is the service that provides our block storage. Uh, it grew by forty percent year over year, with an aggregate data transfer jumping to fifty two petabytes. Wow! Yeah, fifty percent increase uh, for the day, and total I/O requests rising to eight hundred and thirty five million wow. requests. Yeah, thirty percent increase. Uh, the team has told us that they loved the elasticity of EBS and that they were able to ramp down on capacity after Prime Day concluded instead of being stuck with it. Very cool. Uh, now, Ollie, I'm actually a really big fan of CloudFormation. Mm-hmm. Uh, CloudFormation, as we know, is the service that allows us to define our AWS resources in text files or mm-hmm. in templates mm-hmm. and, and use those templates to actually deploy new stacks. And it's a really mm-hmm. good way to orchestrate our AWS um, uh, platform. Uh, For the Prime Day, uh, nearly 31,000 AWS CloudFormation stacks were created in order to bring additional AWS resources online. Very interesting. Uh, And if you have a look at configuration tracking, obviously a lot of moving parts, a lot of things changing, a lot of things that uh, need to be monitored and audited. the Prime Day, uh, the AWS, Amazon retail team for Prime Day uh, leveraged the AWS Config service, which generated over 14 million configuration items for AWS resources. Very impressive stats. And, and I think I also heard about the, they used Amazon DynamoDB to make some of these requests, and it peaked out at 12.9 million per second requests, which is Pretty impressive load on the data store, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you know, running an event that is really large, complex, and mission critical, such as Prime Day, really takes a lot of planning. And you know, if you as a customer have an event of this kind of type, please take a look at our new infrastructure event readiness white paper. And inside that white paper, you'll learn how to design, uh, provision your applications to smoothly handle planned scaling events, such as product launches, seasonal traffic spikes, sections and automations, you know, obviously resiliency, cost optimization, event management, and a lot more. So really preparing you well for it. And you know, with that in mind, I think as you have a critical or large event, it's, it's really important to prepare Planning and testing is essential. You know, use some of those historical metrics, forecast, and model future traffic. Cloud makes it a lot easier for us to scale things up at any point in time. But ha- having our uh, systems obviously set up and prepared um, that they scale properly uh, as we design or as mm. we think they should um, is really useful. And you know, g- kind of going through that game day exercise really validates that, right? So suddenly. Mm breaking various parts and seeing how the system reacts, et cetera, and, and kind of look into automating and monitoring that effectively with some tools, reducing a lot of the manual efforts. And, you know, lastly, I always say, you got to think big, mm. you know, <laughs> using AWS, you know, that you as a customer can get access to resources uh, for any kind of large scale event. And then yeah, I encourage people to have confidence into that infrastructure as long as they automate on how to scale those events out. 
Yeah, it's one of those great things where we can take a lot of our learnings um, uh, from whether it's Amazon retail uh, business, whether it's uh, working with some large customers running mm -hmm. uh, large scale um, events like you mentioned, um, and really al allowing us to uh, pass on that information and those learnings to our customers uh, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, I always look at uh, some of the great stuff Netflix has been doing when they launched the Chaos Monkey that mm. rips your entire <laughs> services apart. Absolutely. Great way to get ready yeah. uh, for building yourself yeah. up. I've got a Chaos Monkey shirt. There you go. There you go. Very important. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have the swag, you haven't used it. That's Netflix. right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, talking of that, I think you mentioned that you're a great fan of Check Check. Indeed, Dean, I am. And, uh, I hope uh, you do um, you hear about it or keep yourself up to date with some of is, but there's only so many things that we can cover on this small little podcast here. So what are some of the other resources that you use to keep yourself up to date? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much information available uh, out there. You just have to make sure you, uh, you know, leverage your time wisely and know where to look. Um, you know, mm -hmm. from my perspective, uh, the way I keep up to date is definitely leveraging uh, our podcasts, whether it's our tech chat or mm -hmm. other podcasts that are available really gives you some good insight into some of the new services mm -hmm. um, that we are launching, new features for those mm -hmm. services mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I definitely am a big fan of our AWS blog. Um, yeah. You know, generally a lot of a lot of our services are announced yeah. uh, on that blog, and not only that, it takes you into detail of how to configure the service, maybe how to get started, get started very quickly. Um, so very useful information. So I've got a lot of RSS feeds uh, set up <laughs> for things like uh, absolutely uh, my uh, my uh, AWS blogs and what's new um, uh, websites. There's also um, some specialized blogs um, that we now have that do focus on specific. Uh, technical domains or um, specific industry verticals as well. So whether it's around things like security or uh, big data or artificial intelligence, uh, we now have uh, specific blogs aligned with those um, specific uh, areas. So making sure that I keep up to date by following those uh, blogs as well. Uh, my next project, I think, is to see how I can integrate my Amazon Echo and Alexa <laughs> voice skills into uh, things like blogs and, uh, and announcements for new features and services. So Alexa can tell me each morning uh, what's <laughs> Uh, what's new I, I i think you're giving me a new challenge <laughs> <laughs> well thanks a lot for being on the show dean thanks for being with us today really great insights and i hope to see you more often on the tech chat absolutely thanks for having me and thank you all listeners out there for continued support of the aws tech chat and uh, we see you next time thank you thanks <laughs>